you. Stand firm in the whole will of God, assured and fully mature. So I thought that was a pretty good prayer. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the uh, ability to be here this this evening, and we thank you for your word and the assurance and confidence that that gives us. Father, we pray that we can learn tonight and that we can take to heart uh, your will for our lives. Thank you for Jeff teaching it, and I pray that you bless him tonight through Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, since you shared that verse, I want to go ahead and begin there. Stand fast in the will of God, assured and fully mature. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, um, assured and fully mature. I want to start out, we're going to kind of talk about sharing your faith and what that looks like a little bit tonight. And I'm going to get into these characters that are behind me, uh, Tidius Justice, Crispus, and Sosthenes. Um, but just for my own confidence... Um, would you say Titius or Titius? What would you guys say? How many of you raise your hand if it's Titius? Raise your hand if it's Titius. Man, I'm getting both. You guys got to help me out here. Okay. Titus, there we go. Okay, I'm going to call him Titus. I was. I was looking at that all day long. I was like, Titius? Titius? Thank you. Titius. I feel better now. I'm going to go with Titius. Um, before we get into these guys, um, I want to talk just a little bit about frustrations you've had. Um, in your life, uh, attempting to share the gospel with somebody, um, maybe things that have caused you to just say, you know what, I'm discouraged trying to um, bring a certain person to Christ, or I'm, I'm discouraged. What are some things that, that have really discouraged you through your walk with God to say, man, this is tough. I, I, I'm not sure what I'm doing here. What do you think? You could give me examples, roadblocks you faced with certain people. I want to hear about that. Or if it's something we should be doing at all. Yeah. Okay, so when it comes down to true discipleship, when it comes down to, okay, what does it look like if I make this change in my life? Am I really ready for that level of change, right? Um, there are things in my life that I'm just not ready to let go of. Uh, so I'm just not ready to go there. All right, what else? Jeff, yeah, one time I uh, shared the gospel a lot with my Asian students. Yeah. And uh, it seemed like I was frustrated with the fact that they didn't seem to be really willing to deal with the big questions at all. Uh, they were more interested in pursuing education and things that's really, they just, I didn't feel like that they really wanted to pursue really deep questions in their life. Okay. I'm going to repeat that one because that one's important to me. Talking to someone and they just don't even understand the pursuit of deeper questions. Listen, we don't know what happens when you die. We don't know these things. Why deal with it? Make money, retire. That's all we can worry about. You know, not willing to face the larger issues um, that are inevitable, you know, that, that are relevant to every man, right? Anything else? Any frustration? Yeah, Dana.
Tradition and family history. This one is huge, especially in other countries, but actually very relevant here as well. Um, what that means to someone's family uh, or something like that. Um, successes. Give me some success stories. I hope. Some of you shared the gospel with me. Okay, yeah. Oh, I like that, though. It's pretty cunning there, and I like that, yeah. Yeah, thank you for the foundation, giving me something to build on, but God's going to take me to the next step now. Yeah, absolutely. Any others? Um, This morning, I got to meet with a lady who is um, uh, Muslim, and it was just uh, through a a friend that led me to a friend that led me to a friend that... um, this lady wanted to meet, and uh, so we met about 8.30 this morning, and we met until 12.30. Um, it was a, or something like that. It was a long meeting, and, um, and uh, it was so frustrating for me. I wish I could sit here and share this amazing success story, but um, it was super, super frustrating. Um, sitting here talking about faith. And uh, I'll just give you part of the conversation. You know, I sat there. I'll tell you the one good thing that happened. And this is going to kind of bring me into the message here. I was sitting there frustrated with myself because of my own inadequacies and just feeling like, why am I not making a dent? Um, she said that she believed that the Bible and the Quran worked perfectly well together, that there was no contradiction, that um, Christianity and Islam were essentially one, one and the same. I asked her if she believed Jesus died on the cross because the Quran actually teaches that he did not um, die but appeared to die on the cross. And she said, yes, he did die on the cross. And I said, really? All of Islam disagrees with you. Um, and she says, that's okay. I've been given special revelation. And as soon as somebody uses the term special revelation, which has happened a lot in my life, I'm like, well, what do I do with that? I can't argue with your special revelation. And I'm not saying that to poke, but what what I'm saying is, all of a sudden I felt like, I'm going nowhere, and this is going to go nowhere. And right when I was thinking that, a man walked over across the room. Um, We were at Panera Bread. And he walked over and he said, can I just sit with you guys real quick? And he said, I need to tell you that I've been listening to your conversation. And my heart has been blessed to see people treat with each each other with, with so much respect. And honor, and I've glorified God in my heart by listening to you too. And all of a sudden, something that I thought was, man, this is a failure. I'm a failure. All of a sudden, I said, thank you, God. You know, something happened out of, you know, at least something. This went somewhere. Um, there have been a lot of frustrating things, you know, as far as trying to share the gospel with people, and certainly windows in my life where I didn't feel confident enough. Um, and I hate to come across as a salesman when I'm talking to anybody. In fact, I think the number one thing we need to teach people, and we're going to talk more about this later this year, we need to teach people when it comes to sharing the gospel. Number one thing, listen. That's the first step above everything else. Listen to people. Know them, know their story, respond to them as a person. I think, I think uh, listening shows people so much respect, opens up so many doors. 
And I think that that's, that's the, the huge thing uh, for me. This is um, the, fir- the, the first people I ever shared the gospel with in my life uh, are the people in this picture. Uh, particularly the girl that's in the middle holding the flowers. Her name is Natasha. Um, I was a high school student. I got to go on a mission trip to uh, Russia. My parents aren't here, but, they, you know, the uh, raising funds to go to Russia, you know, was ridiculous at that time. Uh, but there were farmers in my church, and they raised emus. And at the time, emu eggs were ridiculously, um, y- you know, and they sold an emu egg and supported me to go to Russia. True story. Crazy. And so they sold an emu egg, and they sent me to Russia, and I was just a teenager. And um, we spent uh, better than a month there. Um, it was a month and a couple of weeks. And I stayed with um, this man. His name is Pavel and his wife, Ludmila. And um, I shared the gospel with them, and I tried to talk, and it was tough because, uh, obviously, I don't speak any Russian, and, and, and it was broken English. And he made me translate more 80s music um, than anything else. I mostly translated 80s music for him because that's what he was excited about. But in between, I'd try to talk to him about my faith and I'd try to talk to him about what the gospel. And um, he was excited to visit with an American. Um, this is in a community in Lebedovka, Russia. Um, uh, it's kind of like Greek. I pronounce everything with a Spanish accent, so forgive me. Uh, like Chely- it's, near the, it's in the Chelyabinsk, Russia, uh, region of Russia. This is a region where they did not have Bibles. Nobody had a Bible at this time period at all. Uh, This was a big deal, so we did bring Bibles to them. And uh, the Orthodox Church was the only church um, that there there was, and to have anything else. And even that was more like government than a religion. Anyway, um, he invited this girl, Natasha, to come and study with us. Um, and I don't know if he was trying to hook us up at the time or what, if, what, why he invited the neighbor girl, Natasha, but she got excited and we started studying together. Now I'm just a teenager, okay? I have no idea what I'm doing. A lot of my theology, a lot of things have changed over the years. I know that, right? But I was trying to share my faith, which especially at the time period and especially now was sacred to me, the most sacred part of my life. And I was frustrated. And I was going nowhere, and we were there for better than a month on a team of 12 people staying in different homes, and not one single person made a dent. Not one person came to Christ at all, and it was time to leave. Last week, we were there, and this girl was over at Pavel's apartment. We were studying together at his kitchen table, and her father was committing suicide in the next room while we were studying. She went back to her room and found her father. And she came in screaming and crying. Everything from that point forward was in Russian. I had no idea what was going on at all. Nobody would tell me what was going on. I sat there and gradually people started flooding Pavel and Ludmila's place. And... um, There was crying, there was screaming, there was pain. Natasha, this girl that I had been studying with, is now uncontrollably bawling. And um, the reason she's carrying flowers in this picture is we had just buried her father. We did this long uh, procession together, and um, and it was just like our whole trip was a disaster. Everything was a disaster. Nothing went right. We're not able to share the gospel with anybody. And at the end, this is how the trip ended. Absolute nightmare. And then coming back home from this funeral, 
walking with Natasha and Pavel. And he asked me, as, after we had buried him, because we had talked about Romans and other verses that talked about uh, uh, baptism, and, and baptism, you've been buried with Christ, right? And so he said, is this what, is this what baptism is? And Pavel ended up being baptized into Christ. Natasha was baptized into Christ. Ludmila was baptized into Christ. This is the first person I ever baptized in my life. This is me, a little kid, baptizing Pavel and his wife Ludmila. From that time forward, now this is what's crazy. I'm not saying this because I, I did nothing to share the gospel. It was a disaster of a trip. But from that time, Pavel became the preacher of the church in Lebedovka. Um, the church in Lebedovka ended up planting churches in, Lebed- in Chelyabinsk. And even though from that time point forward, legalism and extreme legalism crept into these churches to the point that the very people that I served to help bring to Christ wouldn't have any fellowship with me or the team that went. Okay, so extreme legalism came in as... That's why I identify so much with the book of Galatians, okay? This is exactly what happened. Okay, and, and so pain and all this stuff. But at the same time, watching what God can do in the midst of an incredible disaster and saying, this is failing, and what he can end up doing as a result of all of this. I was a teenager. Did not have a clue about sharing my faith. In fact, I think I did more harm than good. I I really do so many times. But one thing I loved is I loved God with all of my heart, and I was genuine in how I shared with people. And I was willing to stumble, and I was willing to mess up, and I was willing to fail. Um, And so I want to talk to you a little bit about the power of a seed and what can happen. When you're going out and you're planting seeds and you're doing all this, this is one of the most encouraging reminders to me as somebody who does believe that I'm here for one reason, and that's to somehow share a genuine faith with people. Not to try to grow churches like McDonald's, but to try to spread the kingdom of God in a very genuine way. I believe that that is why we are here. Um, And I want to share with you this passage that's crazy from Acts 18. That's a long intro, sorry. Acts 18, I want to get into the text. This is Paul. He had just come... uh, into Corinth from Athens. Um, and uh, just, just as Jesus typically went to the synagogues, I think ten times in Jesus' ministry, he went to the synagogues. Whenever Paul came into a new town, he went to the synagogue. And, and this is what takes place. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protests and said to them, before I keep reading, I want to uh, familiarize you a little bit with this, this idea of shaking off your clothes, is the idea of shaking off your boots. Jews used to do this, I read somewhere, Jews used to do this if you would go into Gentile territory, a place that you considered unclean. You would leave that region, come back to Judea and wipe off your clothes. An extremely racist thing to do, to be honest with you. And you're just sort of like, ooh, gotta wash, wash those Samaritans, wash the Gentiles off of me, I'm back home. That was a familiar gesture with them. Um, Paul does this in the midst of their synagogue, an action they were familiar with, but it's saying, I'm done. I'm done with this. I've done everything I could. And you can imagine Paul, man, nobody had a handle on the word more than Paul did. He's sitting there, and the way a synagogue works is you would come up front, and there was a synagogue ruler. 
And, and I won't go through a synagogue service, but it's really cool talking about what a synagogue service looked like. But the synagogue was a place of education during the week. And then when you come there on the Sabbath, this was a place where people would come and they would listen to the word of God and they would say the Shema and they would read from the prophets and they, this is what it was. And the synagogue ruler would appoint people to read and, and these kinds of things, but he was in charge. And, and he would come and they gave him a place where, where he could speak. But then it says this. It goes on and it says, after he shakes off his clothes and protests to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Now I want to begin with Titius Justice and talk about what's happening here in Corinth and why this is so cool. This is, um, uh, hopefully you can read that. Sorry, the print is so small. But in Jesus' parables, he kept going through this idea of the, the gospel has been given to the Jew. The Jew rejected it. Now it's going to the Gentile. Most of Jesus' parables, catch this, most of Jesus' parables deal with this theme. It's not just in some of his parables. This is the major teaching of Jesus' parables to the Jew first, but now to the Gentile. To be honest with you, I think that this is what's happening even in the symbolism of the fishermen fishing on one side of the boat. Have you caught any fish? Throw the net on the other side of the boat. I think that has to do with Jew-Gentile. Maybe I'm wrong. But these are the parables of Christ, the parable of the hired workers. The workers are hired early, but the, and then there's the workers that are hired at the 11th hour. There's the fig tree, um, the son that agrees to work, but he doesn't. The other son says he'll work, but then he works. The tenants, this is a huge one, renting a vineyard. Don't, they don't produce fruit, and so it's rented to other tenants who will produce its fruit. The builders who rejected the stone, um, the stone is then uh, accepted, in a sense, by... Uh, Man, I'm, I'm going to butcher that verse now because of all of my things up here. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, uh, talking about the same theme. And especially the parable of the wedding banquet. Guests are invited, but they reject the invitation, and so the invitation is open to all those that are on the streets. What you're seeing throughout Jesus' ministry and Paul's ministry is to the Jew first, but largely they were rejected, and so it went to the Gentile. But this is Paul pouring himself out for over a long period of time. I'm trying to share my gospel with these people. I'll get to that verse in a second. I'm trying to share my gospel with these people, and it's going nowhere. So he leaves the synagogue and goes next door. Tisha's Justice's house. He's a worshiper of God, one of the few guys in the Bible that has two names. And then it says this, Crispus, the synagogue ruler and his entire household, believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. Now, I mean, just just pausing on this verse, on verse 8, what strikes you about this? The synagogue ruler is the one that converted? You went and preached to the whole church. Not a single person listened to you except for the preacher. Really? Why would that be? This is weird. It gets weirder in a second. The person that converts is the synagogue ruler. And it, this is what happens as a result. Many who believe, many believed and were baptized because Crispus converted. Now I want to keep reading and we're going to come back to that point. Check this out. 
Um, verse 9, and this is, this is the heart of it right here. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Um, this reminds me of when God spoke to Paul. When he, Remember, he was on the ship to Rome, and they all think they're going to die. And he says, man, God's made it clear to me. We can't possibly die. Do you remember why they couldn't possibly die on that ship? The gospel must make it to Rome. It must. And regardless of what, whatever else happens, I know that this ship is going to Rome because God's made it clear this is what's going to happen. God has made it clear I have people in this city and I want you to keep going and I want you to keep working even though your work looks like it's amounting to nothing. So it says this, so Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. He's patient. He keeps going through this over a year and a half while Galileo was, and now that has this interjection here, while Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This is verse 12. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to the Jews, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Now check out verse 17. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him. Now, I'm curious what your version of the Bible says here. Who's the they? Who turns on Sosthenes to beat him right now? The Greeks or the Jews? I think the Jews, but I mean, it's, it gives you they. Some versions of the Bible said the Greeks. But they took it out of most versions because they realized, okay, that's not there. They turned and beat him. Now, my question is this. If it's the Jews, why are they going to turn and beat their own synagogue ruler here? Possibly. I don't know. It doesn't say that yet. Hold on. I'm going to say yet. Okay. (laughs) Okay. It doesn't say that, but it says they turn and they beat him. I've read different things. Maybe he failed in, in trying to bring this case before Galileo, and, and they looked at him and said, well, you're a failure. We're going to beat you, I, I, something like that. But here's what's interesting. Paul, when he writes, um, I'm going to read these to you real quick. When he wrote books of the Bible, you've heard me in the past defend, like not like it matters that much, but um, I, I really believe in the authorship of Paul of the book of Hebrews. And it gets into this really weird discussion, but I... But, do you know who wrote the book of Romans? Paul. But who wrote it? Tertullus. Who wrote Philippians, Paul and Timothy. Colossians, Paul and Timothy. Thessalonians, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Paul, Silas, and Timothy again. Paul and Timothy. Paul, but how about this? Corinthians 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Um, Writing this letter alongside Paul, the two people apparently, if this is the same Sosthenes, most people think it has to be, the two people that converted were the synagogue rulers. Crispus first, then Sosthenes. Now I want to ask you this. Why 
would they have been the ones to convert? Obviously, Sosthenes just got beat by his own congregation, so that's a good reason. But outside of that, what do you think? I don't know. I've, I've been struggling with you. What you got, Jason? They devoted their life to studying these things. There's a difference between adhering to a religion. This goes back to, i got to remember whose point it was. Somebody made this point. There's a difference between adhering to a religion out of sentiment. This is my family tradition. This is what I'm out of. This is my nation. Go, go. You know, uh, Just like you root for a football team, you root for your religion. There's a difference between a sentimental attachment to a faith and an honest, genuine pursuit of God. And these people that had dedicated their lives to studying God's word, they were sitting at Paul's feet, and they know, man, this guy has a clue what he's talking about. He's using scriptures in a way, and I'm looking at it, and I'm seeing the face of God, and I have to, and I have to be willing to. Here's what's crazy. The majority of people rejected Paul's message. The majority of people did. But it only took a handful of people, a very small handful. And God said, Keep going, keep going. I have somebody for you, and you'd be amazed what I can do with this person. I was studying with a lady um, one time. It's the coolest story back in Ecuador. And um, every time I talked to her about my faith, she said, I don't know if what you're saying is right. I'm going to go talk to my priest. And so she would go talk to her priest. Marcelo was his name. And she would come back, and she would visit with me and says, my priest says you're wrong. And I said, I know your priest says I'm wrong. I, but can we just study this together? And she said, I do, but I have to study with him too. And I said, that's fine. She keeps going back and forth. I was going nowhere. Until finally I got frustrated, and I grabbed my friend, and I said, we're going to go study with a priest. And we went and sat down with Marcelo. Marcelo was baptized into Christ. We came back, and that man wore his collar to church for months. That white collar thing. Came back to that lady and I said, got your priest. Can we talk now? And it's so true that sometimes we're dedicated and we're devoted to things that are sentimental. And, and, God, and God is in wanting us as a people, when you're frustrated sharing your faith, you're frustrated saying, man, I live in Fort Collins, man. This is post-Christian here. It's not cool to share your faith anymore. What, do you want me to go door to door and knock on doors and say, have you heard of Jesus? I know. But the thing is, and it goes back to what Gary said, I know how cheesy religion has been in the past, but people in this world right now are living for stuff that's stupid. They're living, living for the today, and they're living for things that are shallow. And I do believe that we need to come back to a point where we can say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed to bear witness to it. I'm not ashamed to share it with somebody else. I'm not going to use excuses in my life, because 99 times out of a 10... I do feel like I'm just talking to nothing when I talk to people. And I feel like, man, this is going nowhere. What am I doing? Especially when you're talking to family members. And I'm, I decided not to make this a question because it gets too personal. But especially when you're talking to your family members about Christ, man, that's family and that's hard. 
It's extremely difficult. It's extremely personal. You're scared you're going to break relationships. You're scared you're going to hurt relationships. If you keep going, if you keep trying, pray God brings somebody else in your life. I understand all of that. But I, I pray that God speaks to us by his spirit and we hear what he said to Paul. I have many people in this city. I have more people here. And it's just going to take that one. It's just going to take that one person that I was able to genuinely plant a seed in their life. And all of a sudden, it erupts into something massive and huge. I want to close by sharing this um, parable Christ told. You know it well, but um, um, then I'm going to open it up to any comments or thoughts. But a farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path it was trampled on. The birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock. When it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. Um, The reason that parable is so powerful is because we're supposed to take this two different ways, I believe. That first, Jeff, what is happening in your life? What soil are you? And I identify personally with all of those soils. Every single one of those means something to me. Something in my life, the weeds in my life, the rocks in my life, the shallowness in my life, all these different things. At different points in my life, I represent something different. But when that soil is powerful and it's good, um, I shared with you one time on a Sunday the illustration where I was embarrassed because I started crying in a Home Depot. And the reason I was is because it was like God was speaking to me and I was in the garden. I like outdoor type stuff, right? And I was in the garden section and I got one of those plants and I took it out of its pot and there was no dirt left. Have you ever seen that? It's nothing but roots. And I was, man, I just sat there and I said, God, I want that to be my life. I mean, I want your seed to somehow, I want you to consume me. I want you to take over me. I want that to be my life. And I want it to grow like that inside of me. And he says this for that last soil, man. This is what it looks like. Um, one of my encouragements to you, and, and man, I'm seeing people in powerful ways do this in very genuine ways, and it's beautiful to me. But I want to encourage you, don't worry about the other workers. Don't worry about what's happening. And if you don't worry about what people are doing, don't worry about, man, this church, all this stuff. Worry about you before God. This is what matters. What you are before God, what is God going to do through me? What is he going to do through me as an individual before his throne? Don't worry about the politics of what churches are doing. All right? Leave that between God and maybe some leaders of churches. But for the most part, I stand before God as a witness to him to other people. And I think God puts so many opportunities in our path to share the truth about what the gospel is. And um, I'm hoping in this next year, I was talking to some friends here about it, we can sit down maybe in small groups, maybe in classes or something like that. I'd like to talk to some of you. I'd like us to engage in conversation about what that looks like. Because I think it's been done the wrong way a whole lot. And I have done it the wrong way a whole lot. Um, I've been disingenuous. Um, I've done the thing where I carried lists. This is embarrassing, but it's true. 
I carried lists about how to talk to somebody from this church and this church and this church, and I had lists of verses to use, you know. And I treated people as though that they were, I don't know, not people. And and finally, uh, I think it was somebody I was sharing the gospel with, said, you need to learn to listen. You need to hear me. And I do, I think that's the beginning. And so when I share the gospel with somebody, that's the first thing I like to try to do is tell me your story. I just want to hear your story. I want to hear about your faith walk. I want to hear about what's discouraging you, what's encouraged you. Tell me how you've seen God when you've rejected God. I want to hear your story. And then respond to it, you know. Any thoughts? Right. Um, because it was cutting her heart, and I think he knew it. So I think she was trying to be intellectually honest. So what I'm saying is, I think that the, um, the good soil is ultimately intellectual honesty with what you're reading yeah. in the Bible. So, Sosthenes. And when you first asked the question, why were the leaders the ones who were baptized? I, at first I thought, well, maybe it was because they were the ones who knew most about the Old Law, the Old Testament, knew, knowing that there was a Messiah coming, and they should have been able to recognize that. Right. On the other hand, there were many of those people who did not. Right. So I thought, well, that's not it. And I'm thinking, maybe those are the ones who Right. Right. Absolutely. And that's that is kind of the point that I believe Jesus was making with Nicodemus. Yeah. 
that's the hard part for me. I almost made this entire lesson about that because that was so important to me. Knowing when it's time, listen. You've done what you need to do. Shake the dust off. Move on. Don't let the discouragement set in. Keep going. Okay? And I think that's an important thing that we don't talk enough about. Move on. You've planted a seed. This is between them and the Spirit at this point. It's no longer your responsibility. In fact, that was Paul's exact words. You are no longer my responsibility. I've done what I was called to do, right? So, um, Right. And it may just be we sow seed, something happened at a later date, and we don't know. After you're dead, even. Dead. Yeah. I was reading in 2008, they had found some 2,000-year-old date palm seeds on the, uh, somewhere in clay jars by the Dead Sea, and they planted them, and one of them germinated. A yeah. 2,000-year-old seed. Who knows how many seeds we planted 10, 20, 30 years ago? Right. And we have forgotten those people, but somewhere along the line, what was taught, what was shared, eventually had an impact. We, we don't know. Right. Yeah, and that's the beauty of it, you don't know. And I think that that's why evangelism has become a dirty word in churches. It has. I mean, if we were honest about it, that's become a dirty word. You're not going to hear that a whole lot because people equate it with old school cheesiness. Evangelism is a beautiful word. It actually means to act in the role of an angel. If you were really to parse the word, it's a beautiful thing. But um, looking at it for the purity of of what what I think we're called to do in that role, um, we need to cleanse our mind, I believe, as people and as Christians, of all the weeds and all the stuff that is, is superfluous, I think, to Christianity, and understand the simplicity of what we're about is sharing the gospel. But... It needs to be joyful for us. Joyful. Because I'm not responsible for the seeds. I'm already in Christ. I'm a joyful person that says, man, I know who I am in Christ. I'm going to spread my faith with people. And I'm not going to sit here and just beat my head against a wall because this isn't going right. I'm going to keep going in joy. And that's the one thing that I, I pray that we get about it is when I see somebody's beautiful work in Christ become a task and a burden and something that discourages them. I think sometimes we forget what we're a part of. We're just sowing seed. God is the one that's at work doing his part. And I just take so much joy in it today because um, the gospel I share with people, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not. Because I see a world that is full of, and I don't, I don't like to be a cynic anymore. And I know I need to close, but I see a world that's full of very shallow religion. That each church is trying to beat the other churches to grow it. It's and, and the way people share, and people are turned off by a very insipid, shallow gospel. And I do. I believe what we, the gospel is is a relationship with a very present, almighty God that transforms lives. It's something that I love sharing my story, sharing what I've seen in people, and talking to people and talking about what that experience looks like. Because getting to see the joy of what happens is a result of that. Not, I'm trying to get another person to come into Meadowlark. But I'm really trying to bring somebody into a relationship with God where they know who they are. Man, there's joy in that. And that's an amazing thing that we get to be a part of. So I pray that God would, if he needs to, reignite a fire. 
um, in some of our hearts to do exactly that. All right, let's close in a prayer. Uh, my God, I just want to come before you, and uh, I just, I, I don't know, it was so beautiful for me to look at uh, Crispus and Sosthenes and, and some of these people that you used where everyone seemed to be rejecting you, but you had just the right people at just the right time. And because of them and because of their influence and because of what you could do by the power of a seed, you transformed so many lives. And God, even if um, you've only put put me or you put people, the people in this room here for one reason, if it's maybe just to influence one other life, um, I just pray, God, that we'd go about it joyfully. Um, but God, that we won't, we, we won't be discouraged by the way evangelism is perceived. And we won't be discouraged even by our own sins sometimes, but we'd allow your forgiveness to come into our lives. And um, I also just want to ask God for the purity of our soil. Um, God, that I won't go through this life and hit the end of it and have regrets about decisions I made early on. But I'd run this race with purpose and with passion and with your message at the heart of it. Uh, I love you, God, for your word and, and for this family you've given us. Uh, I pray your spirit would work in us. It's in Christ's name. Amen.